Culture eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. And I'm the Harper AI human with the decade in AI. And with us today is Dr. Elena Ashkina. Dr. Lane and I met each other on random chance. I was very intrigued by her post on LinkedIn, uh, and it is humanity is the forgotten variable. Awesome read, very quick read, highly recommend doing a quick search on it. But welcome today, Elena. Very excited to have you on. If you don't mind, just give a quick intro for our audience so that they may know a little bit more about you. Fantastic. Um, Sidley, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm definitely super delighted to be here. I think my the topic I posted about humanity is so much connected to the culture, uh, which is the topic of your podcast. So for for the audience, I'm Elena Lihashkina. I'm have a, quite a lot of years of experience in the space of the data, technology, customer experience, commercial operations. I had an opportunity working for absolutely fantastic, amazing companies. But what is most important, I had the opportunity to lead a lot of organizations, really diverse organizations, and, and really bring humanity to, to many actions which I have been doing in the past. So I'm really happy to be at this podcast today. Awesome. And Elena, when we were speaking the other week, this is the fun thing about folks like us who have been doing this for a little bit. It's not, what's, it's not whether we have a story, it's what story and what might we talk on. And so... When I reached out and we were originally going through the humanities, the forgotten variable and the fun and the insights there, there is though the topic that you did say is I would love to speak on data product and the story on data product thinking. And as you mentioned in your, your short um, preamble there on, on what have you done, there's a lot of different experiences that you've had, but some of these things have led you to what's the professional story that's led you to pr data product thinking. See, that's a, it's a fantastic question. There is definitely really good story behind. And the story, I remember this moment, actually, which was basically like a ha moment. We're going about the data product, right? So maybe just a little bit background, because maybe my, my initial experiences, they have been building up for me to come a conclusion into data product, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, I have a, my education is a mix of master computer science but I also have a PhD in economics with the focus on commercial operations. So I already early in my journey, I was really trying to bring together technology and how the value for the business gets created, right? So this defined my entire journey. I, and also I had the chance, the second factor which influenced my data product thinking, in early journey, I had the chance to join a digital first business. Mm. So I was hired by the Wall Street Journal uh, early in 2002 when Wall Street Journal was going digital. And they had a big need to build from ground up to build the data strategy to build the products around um, digital experiences, right? So this actually gave me the product thinking right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we did not call it product, but we operated as product because everything we have been creating uh, we have been immediately testing with our viewers on Wall Street Journal, right? And we did see reaction almost in many cases, almost like a real-time reaction if they like it or don't like it and how it's working, right? 
So after me moving into industries who are not digital navy industry, right? So it's a consumer good, so healthcare, they were not born to be digital and they are going into transformation, but it's definitely a really difficult journey, right? And I remember, you know, that this was the moment of truth. So I was sitting in a room with my team, Edna Johnson, and we have been charged to really transform the company through the use of data analytics technology, creating new experiences, creating new operational efficiencies. Uh, and as many technology and data and operational organizations, we have been amazed by success of digital first companies. The companies like Meta, the companies like Google, um, and even my personal experience before at Wall Street Journal, justified, it's a good idea, we can start thinking as a product team, right? Mm -hmm. And we had a big debate. What is the product? What we can really call the product? And this was back in 2016, which is quite a long of time ago. At that moment, nobody was even saying about the data product, right? And we created our own definitions. And interesting enough that Lee mentioned earlier about AI. So AI is a data product. <laughs> right. So you basically think about from like really raw data and up to AI, um, you can actually define how the product is operated. And AI is probably the most mature product because it's exactly connected to experience, exactly connected to action and operation. Right. But there is a lot of less mature products. You can talk about um, if the dashboard for your sales organization is the product or not. So this type of debates we had, and this is how this idea was born, right? At that moment, what I was able to do, first of all, is actually giving my team the product skill, right? So the people who never had an opportunity to think about as a product, uh, we collectively went together through training ourselves to start thinking about products, start practicing as a product to organize in an agile product squad. Yeah. Because I think when people do in agile, but they don't have product, it's not really agile, right? Um, but it, this is how we, you know, started. Yeah. So idea was born um, six years back. Oh, oh. actually seven years back. <laughs> yeah. The, the 2016, unfortunately, is further away. Seven than... years back. Yep. So in your early days, as you're d adopting product thinking before there's really any literature to put to name on this, we still have challenges today around coalescing around what is a data product. You know, I, the, the analogy I use, and I will going to reserve the right to change this analogy later when I don't like it a month from now, but today I like it, which is data products to me are analogous to going to the grocery store. I have many different things that could be a data product. And each one of this with on its own retention policy, with its own you know, life mm -hmm. cycle, right? Raw inputs, raw fruits and vegetables are going to have a different shelf life yep. and a different capability than something that's more refined. But I still see a lot of people talk about data products as if it has a universality to it that it doesn't quite have. Yes, some thinking is important and methods are important and those could be universal. But I still, I am observing a lot where is a product is a product. There is a lot of variability and variety to these things. So how did you tackle that in the early days with no literature and no real ideas to think of? And then even fast forwarding today, what do you see as the challenges we have to overcome in data product thinking? Yeah, yes, yeah, so you're up, up <laughs> the spark actually, right? 
because it's true. Now you can search in the internet and you can find so many product definitions. I know some companies who are basically collecting data product definition, right? Yeah. Also, you can see quite a lot of articles. And in most of the cases, if I'm just boiling down to two courses, people are going to describe data product in a highly technical way. Mm-hmm. Right. So one way what I'm observing people describing the data product is basically uh, these are solutions uh, which are running by data. Right. So, for example, you can say um, like Google Map, mm-hmm. it's a typical data product. Right. So there is a data behind and the solution of the Google Map or application of the Google Map. Uh, it's a data product. And this is a type of definition you can get from people who are more like a software development type of people. The definition from, let's say, from the chip data people, you're going to get that data product is a repeatable data construct, uh, which I can use multiple times across different applications. And it's more of like the harmonized way of introducing data into your operations, right? Uh, So when I wrote an article about humanity, uh, so you don't see this humanity in any of the definitions. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, the product is consumer. So exactly as you described is the product. We have a yogurt in a, like in a store, right? We have fruits and vegetables. This is like a product. So this product has a consumer, right? So this product is meant to certain group. It depends on this group. The company who is producing yogurts, they're going to make the yogurt specifically for the group of the person, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to see how consumers are enjoying the product. And so they're going to price accordingly and they're going to promote accordingly and they're going to drive adoption and flavors going to change depends on the type of the consumer, right? The same for me, when I talk about the data product, I talk about consumer or user centricity. And in the classifications, which I am defining for myself data product, I'm actually defining there are different classes of tumors or users of data products. And a lot of them we have inside the company because we have a profile like data scientists who spend quite a lot of time trying to get the great data, right? So can we have a data product for this type of profile? Well, now we have a salesperson who is going on a sales call. He wants to make a best deal, right? How the data product should look like for this person, right? And then we have the real consumer who wants to engage with us and maybe buy the product on our e-commerce website. Maybe maybe this product is in a beauty space and I would like to see actually if this product is good for me. So these are all variations of data product. What is important is consumer centricity, right? So this, these are the first question, which is not defined by any definitions you're going to look at, right? So the second side, which I managed to message, right? Uh, it's about getting value. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you can call it sometimes you can hear monetization, right? Monetization could be getting value, monetary value internally, like in form of company revenue, in form of company cost savings, better operations, uh, or getting externally, like selling this product, right? So it's basically you can sell the data and we see a lot of companies who are selling this data, right? Uh, there is a value and you have to clear articulate how much you spend, how much value you generate. Right. And the last, what you mentioned is the life cycle, right? So what is the life cycle? How we make decisions uh, about serving certain groups, how we make decisions by adding certain feature to our product, or actually maybe removing some feature feature and, and actually retiring the product, right? 
hiring the product is so important. Many companies not realizing that the biggest uh, legacy is soon enough is going to be data. It's going to be so costly that we can only imagine, right? So now people are challenged by the cost of technology to be the legacy and being ex expensive and trying to remove the legacy tech. So data is going to be way more expensive than technology right now, right? Which means that if you start thinking as about data as the product, uh, you put this life cycle thinking and you start managing ahead how you're going to manage your data in a more proactive and a cost-efficient way. Yeah. One of the things I had to write down as you were talking about the, how to define a data product is two things came to mind is that maybe part of our problem is that we're letting, and I'm going to say this, and I love engineers. I am an engineer, kind of an engineer, economic, ec economics by trade, but engineer by day, but that we probably are trying to let the engineers define these things, right? And it's what we see with data products, what people need is more akin to biology. It's like the more we try to put something, as I learned in grade school, the more you try to put something in a box, then along comes the duck-billed platypus and it blows the boxes up. How, we, how do we start to do these things so that, and thinking about it from the end user side, the consumption, the value that everything should be derived, because otherwise, why are we storing it? Why are we doing these things if it isn't to be used? So. When you're looking at the companies that you're working with, the people that you're talking to, because you speak a lot, you do, you, know, you educate, what challenges and opportunities do you see this thinking, this kind of shift towards the product mindset, the consumer mindset? What do you see this solving for organizations? Multiple solves and multiple opportunities, right? So I think the biggest solve is gonna be to position technology data investments in a close connection to value creation. So because if you start thinking in the product mind and centricity of your user, internal or external user, you start measuring your activity. Basically, you invest by the way, the value, whatever value you're getting, this is how much you invest in, right? So these are the biggest opportunity and most organizations are quite of struggling to justify the value of technology or data operations, right? Because they looked as operational activities. They're not necessarily closely connected to, to direct impact, which these activities can create, right? So what is opportunity is, right? So I think we do have, we do have significant skill gap, right? And I think this is where... Um, I, I believe, my, maybe I'll do my comparison, right? Early in my journey, I was just out of the college. And this was the time um, when the Soviet Union collapsed, right? So it collapsed actually earlier than I was in the college, right? But I remember time when I'm going out of the college, right? And uh, companies um, not, had a big skill gap because they had no idea how operate in the commercial space. So this was the time when I have been conducting actually quite of massive trainings mm -hmm. to teach people how they can think commercially because mm. you're not having a mid company anymore. You need to think commercially, right? Yeah. Well, now a situation is quite of sim similar, I would say, uh, that you need to st think how you can work by using data, by using AI, by using technology. And it doesn't matter who you are. Are you the bus driver? Are you actually working in a store? 
Are you a teacher in a college, in a school? Are you a salesperson? Your future is going to lie into different types of skills. How the skills you're going to build, right? So I think this is the massive opportunity for companies. Um, look at investments and almost for every dollar you put in into your tech and data infrastructure, you have to put into people. You have to put equally into people, including the technology people, because technology people, as I mentioned, if they build in this future, like a product mine, mm -hmm. they don't have this um, skill set, right? So you need to train your data people, sync product. Yeah, you need to train your software engineering people to sync data, right? So this is tech opportunity. And one thing that Sid and I regularly see is the build it and they will come mentality that a lot of engineers seem to have or do have. Hey, I was going through that earlier on in my career. But when you're taking thing about product, a lot of product before you build it, you do your market research. You go and talk to your end user, you know, the people who you hope will buy your product, use your product, you don't just build the thing. You make sure that it's the right thing to build. So you're adding in those extra human pieces yep. that aren't tech, but are prerequisites to making the tech useful, usable, and valuable. Yes, Leah, this is music in my ears, right? So basically, it's, this is something which, again, the skill of understanding the user. And, and I, want to, I don't want to call a stakeholder because stakeholder is a different mindset. Mm -hmm. So in majority cases, tech people are going to call business as, a, as these are my stakeholders, right? User experience is the value creation. Stakeholder is not necessarily generate the value. Stakeholder, I do what you tell me to do. Right. But here I would love to see the proof that adoption is happening, that user is happy and user is asking more and really hungry to get more and more. Right. So this is what I would love to see that in the future, marketing and salespeople, they are excited about using data and tech, which is, which is now really rare cases where you can absorb. So then that idea and what y'all were just mentioning leads into this next question I have is like, what is still needed? So I'm going to say I'm a fan of the ideas that are being positioned with data product thinking. I still think we have a long way to go. And I can't remember which podcast was on, but we talked a lot about empathy because let's just go back to your example of the yeah. Google Maps. Uh, is that a data product? You're going to have some software engineers like, oh, that's a software engineering product. And you have some UX people it's like, that's a whole user experience. Yeah. So it's a whole UX product. But the answer is it's all, right? Because it takes just even something as simple as our phones, the multidisciplinary approach to craft something a user wants that solves a problem, solves a need, creates a new opportunity, takes many different things. So what do you see is still needed? What critical kind of aspects or constructs, you know, that we still need in data product thinking or that we haven't yet addressed? So I think we did not address anything, honestly, yet, right? Yeah. So there is a lot, yeah, there is a lot of experimentation. And we're, we're on the early on the maturity scale, very, yeah, very exactly. early. <laughs> exactly. So there is a lot of kind of thinking experimentation is happening and different people are attacking this problem from all aspects, right? So like you can hear, for example, from about the data mesh, mm -hmm. right? So data mesh is looking from an architectural concept, actually, how you architect your data. So then it's becoming data product, right? My, my personal focus is really person who cares about the people, right? So I'm looking at this problem from the skill perspective, right? <laughs> how I can help 
marketers or salespeople or technology people or data people uh, to better understand the future and see themselves in the future and, and really start building the skills. Not building the skill to use the tool. No, this is not the skill, right? But really building the skill to use this type of opportunities and work differently, right? So act differently in, at the working place, right? Uh, so these are my personal problem I'm addressing, right? Uh, but, but definitely you can think about if we talk about AI type of data products, then ethical, a lot of about ethics, what could be used, what cannot be used. So we just got the Biden executive order a couple of days ago. I think it's uh, super exciting. Um, everybody excited that the change is happening. Uh, so European or Union is also came up with the, uh, with the order about the AI, which is also great because now we can put some frames and regulations. Uh, data, I think the data quality topic is if we're going to start thinking product mind, the data quality is going to be resolved because then we can justify investment into quality, uh, because we can see the value created, right? So now it's really hard to justify this type of investment. Yeah. So these are the areas. So my personal focus, as I said, is the people, how we can build skills how we can build right impact measures and how we can help boards at companies to make decisions about such transformations on the right way. Yeah. I, it, and it's funny that data quality aspect is such a hot topic with many people having many opinions. And honestly, I think a lot of those opinions are right. And it, I think that's the where the empathy piece and so I can mention one person by name because I, I happen to agree with his. But so we had earlier Robert, or not Robert, Malcolm Hawker um, over Prophecy. And, you know, he takes his viewpoint that I generally agree with, but I also understand why some others have a disparate or different viewpoint. But he, the thing he talks a lot about is that business users are, and to try to tell them that their quality of their data is crap isn't fair. They're using it day in and day out. And this is true, right? Like they, for the most part, if they weren't putting good inputs in, then they wouldn't be able to run the business and do the things. On the flip side, Lee and I have both worked for organizations where PRM was an anathema to many salespeople and they wouldn't use it. So it's like, but how are you effectively running your sales org if you're not inputting good information into the system? So both sides are right. I do think though that Mal I can fall more into the camp of like in these silos, the yeah. quality tends to be higher than we expect. It's once we break it out of that silo and want to use it to your, what we're talking about, product, match it up to different aspects, to different views, to different uses, then that's new quality definitions. It doesn't mean the original data was bad. It just means it's not meeting what I need for my new definition. So Yeah. No, see, it's, it is so true. And actually, it's so <laughs> funny you mentioned DRM. So recently I was listening like one of the podcasts and the podcast was, uh, it's actually executive from like life sciences industry mm -hmm. and uh, at the podcast, the guy was explaining in terms of how they have been doing a big transformation and giving the sales force really uh, amazing CRM tool. Uh, and, uh, and then he got a question, how you drove adoption, right? And, and I think this was the most challenging question <laughs> because the answer was, oh, we tried everything. We're trying to punish people. You don't get bonus if you don't enter data. So then we try to reward people. If you enter data, you actually get a better <laughs> bonus, right? But what was amazing for me, actually, that it didn't come in discussion to ask why, 
Why? Go like on a sales call, go together with the person. And this is what I did so many in my life, because I think I'm famous for really going into the store, going to the factory, I'm going to the sales call, right? Because you can see, for example, that how much, how much time people have between calls, mm-hmm. right? So um, sometimes salespeople go in into remote locations. They don't even have access, have access to internet and we're asking them to do, to enter information, right? You need to absorb, right? Mm-hmm. So absorb going to market research questions. So do this real research with your user and, and absorb activities, right? And work together with you, this user. Basically say, I observed you only have 20 seconds. If I'm going to give you voice recognition, is it going to be easy for you to record this message, right? Um, this are type of relationship you need to build. It's... I love that you bring that up because it, I'll go back to something we just talked about earlier. It's like empathy is needed so much for these things, whether it's, I've been in technology and technology consulting long enough. You know, the, when I first started, it was, can you code and are you good at it? And then you've got the job, right? And you can do, and the client hired you because you could functionally deliver the thing. And then we went through the revolution. It's like, now it's not just about it working. Now it needs to be, you know, the user experience needs to be better. And then we need to drive adoption. And we've had vast improvements. It's so while we get prettier interfaces, I wouldn't necessarily everybody say everybody's hitting the functional interfaces Mm -hmm. for the users yet. So we've gone a long way, made it look nice, but now we need to make it actually work easier. I had, when I was first really big in analytics, I came from a crap job doing call center tech support because do the switch from economics to tech you got to find some path and it was really it sucked but i did it but then i moved into the operation side of it and nobody i worked with even though we're running all the call centers across the globe for dell nobody i worked with had actually been in the call center and i made yes. them do a field trip it's like this is before we, you know dell lost the um the call centers here in austin but we did a field trip it's like all right we're going to go visit and you're going to see what it's like you're going to sit in on calls. You're going to observe this thing that you're writing all the metrics on, that you're doing all the call center analytics on, and you're going to see. And it was so eye-opening just on one visit. Yeah. No, and it's an eye-opening, but it also, through this type of visits, you're actually demonstrating your, like a people relation, people connection, mm-hmm. uh, because then people feel that it's not something which the company is just pushing on us. So this is something which we understand what it, why it's needed, how it's going to help Again, I probably can give you hundreds of situations. One I said about DRM, but let's talk about factory, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the exercises which companies are now doing is how you can do maintenance of the, at the factory in a more predictive way. Um, so it's an amazing opportunity, which, which is actually AI is going to do so much with this, right? But um, there are so many suggestions in terms of how to personalize this. It's coming from from groups who never, ever visited factories, right? So they might run really amazing AI models <laughs> and come into the factory. Is that possible to do? It's not going to yeah. work like this, right? Yeah. Start from the factory. So yeah. start from really understanding the process and spend time going together with people and, and work for a couple of days, play the role actually at the factory. So then you can better understand what needs to be done. There's also a cultural... and empathetic thing here too though as well because if you're your blue collar worker person on the factory floor probably let's be honest earning a fraction of what your data science is going to be earning in the company there yes. can be a 
challenge sometimes in that oh, I've got some, some boffin from up high telling me what to do. I've been doing this now for 20 years and then suddenly some kid's model is going to tell me what to do. But if you've actually met the person, if you've talked through it, if you've talked pros and cons, if you have that personal empathetic relationship, on some of that barrier that can get reduced, but also then to your point, you're building the right thing to actually help that person rather than however inadvertently yes. create the serial relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's completely diff different level of relationships, right? And, and also, I would say, as you mentioned, for example, somebody like a young data scientist is going to teach me, uh, to be honest, they actually need to be more educated about like real operations, about real life, what is happening. Uh, and th mm -hmm. this is something which I'm doing in, at my free co college time because I'm educating this new generation. Uh, I'm getting an amazing amount of questions from them because they basically, they're really super smart to build um, the big, really great models, which maybe I'm, I'm not able to build at this moment, <laughs> right? So I did a lot of hands-on before, yeah. but, but what they cannot do is actually connect this model into value creation, right? And, and this is where I see my role to help them to understand the value creation process and, and what they need to do to learn the value creation process. And that is the biggest difference between an academic master's program and real life, right? It's not the techniques, yes. the algorithms. It's exactly that. It's mapping those onto real value. No one cares what your precision recall and F1 score were. What they care about is how many hours will it say? You know, how much money will it say? You know, how much, how many more sales will I make? You know, how can I reduce my risk in some meaningful way? And that's often would be great if that would start being taught. Um, and some programs are starting to teach it. But I see that as being a definitely the biggest challenge with new people entering the fields is that little piece, that big piece. And it's the same, it's in many ways the same, I see the same impediments to the models performing supremely well for the tasks that we really need, like to really replace people, replace. It's just the same reason that like textbook learning doesn't work. It's, it's hard to put into a canonical form everything that I know Right, like even just take something what we feel should be cut and dry as the mechanics of a car. We've had cars for over a yeah. hundred years, right? And yet, right, I can even if I look at the diagnostics on the dashboard or in something, and I'm saying this because I'm taking my car in Friday to get fixed <laughs> in two minutes, taking it to the right shop. We're like, oh, yep, this is exactly what we're going to need to do. And they guessed at it before they ran the full diags. They still ran the full diagnostics to make sure there's nothing else. But their experience, just everything from different influences and inputs that we wouldn't necessarily think, and that without that experience, a data scientist might not take to feed the models. Like everything, I don't know what they evaluated at. She could have just been looking at my car and said, oh, I can tell that this guy does not drive his car very well. So I'm probably going to this, this, and this because okay. who knows? And I actually, I do take good care of my car. But there's all sorts of these things that are evaluated that it's hard to put into literature and to train and then thereby a model. It's absolutely yeah. necessary to have that empathy. Yeah. No, this is the dimension which definitely needs to be included into the build of the, the data. One moment I want to mention, actually, I think if we start thinking more about um, technology and data in a product way uh, and putting this user centricity of humanity, putting at the center, then uh, we absolutely start talking about diversity more. Mm -hmm. Right, because we have then actually diversity in technology and data is not something like nice to have. You must have it because you have to be user centric, and mm -hmm. users are come in all 
you know, shapes and forms and everything, right? So you can get gender differences, you can get race differences, you can get age differences, right? So then your team have to be presented. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're building, if you're thinking about the product centric way uh, and creating value in this way, you have to represent um, your user community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lena, you are doing a lot of speaking, writing, and you're doing a lot to mentor others. What are some of the things that you're working on today? What would you like other people to know about? Yes, fantastic question. I think something I mentioned before, a couple areas which I'm putting quite a lot of focus. One is definitely the skill building and education. So this has been always the passion of myself, and now I'm putting more effort into this and specifically into the data product management space, right? But I'm also connecting this education space into advisory because I found myself Involved into really interesting conversations and advisory and being like a board member for several startups and not small startups. Some of them are quite already successful and delivering great products, AI type of technologies and B2B and B2C type of technologies, right? So this is what I focus on. And, and the third area is probably what I'm focusing is I'm actually, it's also the startup, uh, but it's more than one. It's a really special startup, which called We Global Studios. So this startup is, is AI-driven as form, uh, which actually serving many startups. So mm-hmm. in our portfolio, we have about 300 right now. Uh, and I'm an acting um, CTO, CDO, if I officer, whatever you call <laughs> in a startup, you ha- you wearing like many hats, mm-hmm. right? But um, for me, it's like really rewarding seeing how we can impact the bigger scale. And, and really help startups to be successful, to really have a capabilities right from the start. Oh, that's amazing. I hopefully they are all um, both very thankful and very appreciative to of the advice. So in working across many of these things, I guess one kind of follow-on question I had then, what is something else you're seeing about data product thinking you know, in these startups? What, what uh, if they forget or skip that kind of thinking or if they're learning, what are some of the... the um, insights you're seeing there you know it's uh yeah they definitely um to be honest they don't think about data at the first place Mm -hmm. even the most technical startups and this is something which i was able to help them to recognize uh and some of the startups they even change the strategy from the technical platform to to more data type of platforms Mm -hmm. right also, some startups, they don't even know that the value of, of the data they have from consumers, they don't fully utilize, right? So they don't fully utilize in their own operations and they don't, they can potentially monetize, right? So for example, I had some conversation with also startups who are trying to monetize some samples of data from the credit cards by creating, mm-hmm. by creating like monetizable data products, right? But what, what is missing in the picture, they don't know who is a consumer. So they don't know well, for example, what type of, what type of value um, retail can create from credit card transactions, right? Or what type of value consumer goods company can create from, from this type of transactions, right? And I'm helping them to, to understand the potential value, to potential, basically creating potential type of products to monetize. And Lee's going to groan when I say this because he's been working with me too long. But as we've joked a lot on my on our old team, is that the field of dreams was a movie, not a strategy. Just yes. because you build it doesn't mean they will come. Exactly. You've got to think from, with the end in mind 
and what is going to be the consumable or the value producing piece. And value is not always monetary, right? It does not always have to be monetary, but there's lots of ways, you know, that even in economics terms, you can define value. Uh, and so that that's also yeah, a multidisciplinary who is, who is your idea. Consumer? Yeah. Right. So who is like, uh, who is your consumer for this product? Who is the <laughs> user of this product? So it's quite of not obvious, right? So again, in my examples, yeah. people have been saying me, I'm targeting the marketing person. Mm-hmm. And after many conversations, no, your target is actually a HR person, right? <laughs> so you really need to know who is the consumer for your product. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be fascinating over the next what, couple years? I, who knows at what pace like this data product thinking is going to go? And I'm sure we're probably going to have a different name for it, a two, three yes. years. Who knows, right? But I love the general direction. Right? And Elena, I'm, it's going to be fun to watch you know, how you and others help shape that direction. I'm excited about this. If anybody wants to get in touch with you to follow up and ask some more questions, what's the best way for them to do so? I'm responding to people on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'm actually really focused person, right? <laughs> so because I think the first step is is to get into something amazing. It's connect with people. I'm, I'm highly encouraging everybody to take the step, connect with people, have a conversation, Yeah. right? So this is how success starts. So the best way just to send me a con- connection on LinkedIn and, and this is how it starts. Exactly. This is how we met too. So yeah, saw exactly. an awesome article you posted. It's like, hey, I love this. We should talk. And here we are. Yeah. Thank you so much for making time for us today. We're excited to have you on and look forward to future conversations. Wonderful. Thank you for your invitation. So talk soon. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.